James and John, the son of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want to, to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink, and with that, the baptism with which I am to be baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand is, or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those who they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, <clears throat> and their great ones tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Good to have each one of you here today. Hey, um, usually some pastors, they open up with a video. And usually the video keeps your attention so that you're awake during the boring sermon. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a video, a quick little video, and if you can connect to it, if you can relate to it, that would be fantastic. But better yet, if you can connect the person that you're with to the video, better yet. So if, if it reminds you of the person you're with, just feel free to go, that's you. Watch this video. feel that, that way emotionally sometimes? That basically you're having this emotional fit inside of you, but somehow you're trying to act like an adult? Now we're in a series called Starting Over, and uh, this is part of recalibration for the next nine months. And the beginning of the series, I talked to you guys about um, when, when Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to enter it like a child. And he held the child to his disciples because his disciples were like frustrated that 
that these children were coming to Jesus and he was, they were kicking them away. And so I was talking about how the big difference between being childlike and childish and how sometimes we act childish like this video that we saw. And so God, Jesus is not saying be childish, so pitch a fit or have these tantrums when you don't get your own way. Or we do what we call pouting as an adult. As adults, we play games, don't we? We really do. And so I was looking at the passage today in Mark in the gospel reading, and I was going, dang, dude, these disciples were childish. These disciples, man, they needed to grow up. Because this is interesting. James and, James and John, who were brothers, went to Jesus. Now, this is pompous, if you think about this. Because it's recorded in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Follow me on the screen. James and John, the son of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Good night. Think about this. It's just like someone going to me, look, I need to tell you something, but promise, promise, don't get mad. You ever had that? And I'm already mad. We can promise. I'm mad now. You know, and, and then so the thing is, why are you telling me or telling me how I should respond to this? This is what they were doing to Jesus because they thought, hey, do it. So Jesus plays along with this game. And he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us to sit on the right hand and one on the left in your glory. Not now, but in your glory. Because we don't want to go through that suffering you're going through right now. And I go, man, this is fascinates me because I thought, this is my being childish. Talking about being fitting the ego here. And basically they're saying, after you overthrow your enemies, after you establish your kingdom here on earth, then we want to sit on the left and we want to sit on the right of you. And basically they said, we want to be second in charge. We want to be in control, right? And so that is pompous, if you think about it, second to Jesus. That's what they were asking. And so when you look at this, they're looking at this playing these games here. Because the games that we play is called, and I put this on the screen, the me first game. You ever played it? Not you. Go, you go to a restaurant. It's about you. Me first. Serve me. Why are they serving their food first? We were here first before them. You see what I mean? That's the me first game. And so we see kids fighting all the time doing this me first. And we can see this silly video and we go, oh my goodness, how in the world can you have these temper tantrums? But we all play the me first game. Now, how, what are the rules to the game? How do we know that we're playing the game? So I put the rules up because there's rules to the game so we can understand how to play it, right? And I'll put it on the screen. The me first game is this. It's about being in control, getting your way, being the best, being first, being in charge, being right, and winning at everything. The me first game. We all play it. And so this is what's interesting to me. Then Mark chapter 10, verse 41, and... I'm, I'm sorry, I've, the, the word of God cracks me up. The disciples crack me up. Because then, then it finds out the other ten disciples heard what's going on. Now, I don't know how they found out, 
But it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 41, when the 10 heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So whoever told them, in fact, maybe it was one of the disciples told the nine and said, guess what Beefus just did or Butthead just did? You know, they were mad, mad. I'm giving my age. That's 30 years ago, if you know who Beavis and Butthead is. But you look at this, they were frustrated at him. Because it's interesting, why would they care? Because then they began to play the mean first game too. Why are they going first? Why not us? We should be. We're better than James. We're better than John. And so this is where Jesus, well, thank goodness for Jesus. Because if I was Jesus, the whole Bible would be completely different. But Jesus, what he does here, Jesus uses this as an incredible teaching moment rather than I'm going to slam dunk you guys, you frustrate the heck out of me sometimes. And so he uses this, and he says this in verse 38. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. So they thought they were leading. He got, oh, we can do it. But then he gets deeper here. Then Jesus said, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Jesus is basically saying, you want it? You really want to sit on the left? You, you really want to play this game? Then this is what you have to do. And basically, be careful what you pray for. This is what Jesus is telling them. Because back on the screen, the path to the glory for Jesus was not by playing the me first game. It was about being willing to be last. It was about being willing to go through suffering and death and come out on the other side and be transformed. This is a whole other, our culture does the me first, but this is not what Jesus was about. This is why he hasn't established his kingdom here on earth yet. So when Jesus said, you want it? Will you go through the baptism as I went through? Will you go through the cup that I drink through? You know what he's saying is, will you suffer the way I suffer? Are you willing to go through the hurt? Are you willing to go through the pain? And so you go, oh, no, I don't want to suffer. You ever done that? I want, I want to make a goal, but I don't want to go through the difficulty. I love inspiration stories, but I don't want to be an inspiration to anybody else. Right? Who wants to be an inspirational story? They go through suffering. And so you look at this and say, this is what I don't want, but I want to achieve greatness. Now, let me share a bit of frustration with you. It's just my way. I can't afford counseling, so you guys are my counselors. <laughs> that I grew up in church all my life. And in fact, I, I, I Googled the picture. I want to show you this picture. This is my dad's first church in 1962. It was Church in Nazarene in Seaside, Oregon. Now, I was born in 1962. Those three windows was our house. We lived in the church for two years. That was my home, the sanctuary. So if anyone has church issues, it's me, right? Because I've seen it, and I remember when I first got into ministry, and, and they told me the statistics for pastors that beginning the ministry in their early 20s and retire was 1%. And the average pastor that lasts out of church, five years. 
The average youth pastor, 18 months. That's when I first started. Now, I'm, what, I hate to say this, nine years from retirement, so I'm getting up there. But one thing that I've learned is I ask other ministers how they did it when I first began the ministry. And the thing is, it wasn't about their education. It was about humility. It was about understanding what it means to serve as a pastor. And so when I get people that are starting in the ministry that have these incredible education, PhDs and all this stuff, most likely there's this entitlement there. And I'm going, they don't last long because they don't have this serving attitude. Now, there are lots that, that have a high education, that are great servants, and don't get me wrong, there's exceptions to the rule. But I've noticed in the 30-some years that I've been in ministry, it's about them being served rather than serving others. In 1995, I was ordained. And I remember I was going through all kinds of dirt and all kinds of crud. And I remember this is the one thing that I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to be ordained. I'm going to have the Rev in front of my name. And my church was practicing, the church that I was part of. They called me Rev Kev. This church just calls me PK. Pastor's kid or Pastor Kevin, whatever you want. Or Psycho Kid. I have no idea. Psycho Kevin. <laughs> but the, yeah, I wonder why you do call me PK. <laughs> and so, therefore, I, I've noticed that when I was ordained, I, I knelt down here, and it's a crazy way they kneel you down, because you're kneeling, kind of kneeling with your back up. And they lay hands on you, which is a lot of weight. And so they begin to pray for you. And the bishop back then prayed for me. But what was interesting, he gave me a towel. After years and years and years, I got this Target towel with probably $7.95 at the most towel. And he said, this represents the towel that you're going to use to wash your people's feet, the people that you serve, the church that you're, under, that you're working with. And it really spoke volumes to me because it wasn't about my prestigious. This wasn't about a career move. This was about serving Jesus. It's a calling upon all of our lives instead of not being the spiritual elite. And so Bob, my, bud, my buddy Bob, do you guys remember him two weeks ago? He and I, team chair, team preached. He's my accountability partner for since 2000. Now one thing I like about Bob, Bob is very gifted in ways that I'm not gifted. I have to use the pulpit because of the tremors. I, I'm not as smart as him. He can preach an entire sermon without looking at notes. And all of a sudden, he just pulls scripture out, and it just fits perfectly. And I go, how does he do this? And he's so educated. He has all these letters and all this stuff. But I don't respect him because he's highly educated, and he's such a great speaker. I respect him because he's been through a lot. He's been through difficult times and suffering. And just three weeks ago, he shared about the loss of his brother in a, a, an accident. And I watched Bob go through this journey of suffering. And I'm going, how does he do this? But yet, I've seen him throughout the years go through it and not be afraid to face his suffering, but come out of it with a deeper sense of who he is in Christ and a deeper sense of peace that I've never seen in the 
before. We make jokes. We always go, okay, Kevin, maybe you didn't go to the seminary. I put this on the screen. But you went to the seminary of suffering. And that's what we call it, the seminary of suffering. All of us have gone through it. All of us go through it. This is Jesus' seminary program. It's through suffering, through, difficult, through difficulties in life. It's about dying to yourself. It's about serving others. It's more about love and trust in God, that the more free you become because of the suffering that you and I have gone through, that we can connect with one another. I even said this, we don't connect with each other through our successes. We connect with each other through our suffering. You know that, right? When somebody wins this billion-dollar lotto, you know how many people I had to pray for? 10% of a billion dollars. You know, and all this. I had another guy. That I, 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 I had another. It takes you a while, doesn't it? I, I, I have another guy that, that uh, I was praying for, and he was going through stuff. And I go, in Jesus' name, amen. And he goes, go Dodgers. And he just kind of fit the prayer right in there. And that was two days ago in the Dodgers. So if you're, if you're praying, just go, go Dodgers right at the end of the prayer. Throw that in there. That's what he did, and somehow it worked. And so are we willing to serve the hurting? Are we willing to love other people? See, this is where it's interesting. A lot of people that have I heard preach do not have the, what's called the credibility factor. That is basically, don't tell me how to live unless you've lived it. And so the credibility factor is when you're using the Word of God in your own experiences in life, it produces the compassion that people connect to. Rather than somebody going up there with all their theology and all their doctrine, but never have gone through any type of suffering. See, on the screen, Jesus isn't about ordaining ministers. He's about calling disciples, followers. He's about calling people through the seminary of suffering into a new life where we become a living message of hope and good news. See, in churches or religious institutions, whether it's a Catholic church or Protestant church or um, different churches or even uh, the synagogues, we have this priest, rabbi, pastor, ordained, and then we have lay leaders. We have these two levels that somehow we raise this level up. They're the most important ones, and we're just little sheep that follow. That's not Jesus' program. Jesus calls us all equally to, to live the kingdom, to do this. In fact, he's not into an ordination system. But on the other hand, I've seen people that have not had the education, have not been ordained, but they are preaching the gospel so powerfully, not by words, but by their life. And that's what's fascinating to me. And so this is where, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45... Jesus said that he came to, to be, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so those who have allowed their lives to be stretched, those who have allowed their life to stretch beyond their resources, but continue to follow Jesus, Jesus in their life through the difficulties and suffering through their faith, are incredibly uh, poster children for the good news. There's no need for hope when things are going well. You know that, right? 
when things are going terribly, that is the purest form of soil to grow hope. There's what I'm talking about when Jesus is talking about being a child, like a child. Children have these incredible imaginations, don't they? And with that imagination builds faith. So when children go, I am a this, I am a fireman, I am this, and you go, no, you're a three-year-old little punk little kid. But somehow their imagination says, I've done it. Can you imagine our imaginations, our faith, even in the midst of going through the trials and the tribulations, that we can stand before God and say, I've did it. I'm doing it. I'm a living example of Christ's redemption and Christ bringing me through this. Now, I really felt the Lord put on my heart to speak to someone in the sanctuary. I didn't know when to talk about it, but this morning, one of you, I really believe the Lord put on my heart, one of you in your said to yourself, why is this happening to me? Why do I have to live with this? And let me give you a story, because the Lord wants you to hear this. Whoever it is, Thursday, Wednesday, I was so frustrated with my tremor. I, You know, I've had this since the second grade. I just get frustrated. I'm going, this drives me nuts. But on Thursday, it was a good day. And I was going to the dentist. I had a 1 o'clock appointment, and they were running 45 minutes late. And I go, and I get so frustrated because if I made an appointment with someone at 1 o'clock, it's 1 o'clock, not 1.45, it's 1 o'clock. So I'm sitting there in a crowded room because everyone's waiting. And so everyone does. They get on their phone and start dilly-winking, not talking to anybody. So I, I said to this lady, I go, what time's your appointment? And she goes, 1. Well, mine was 1 to 2. It's 1.40. So she comes to me and she says, hey, I noticed that you shaved. And I go, thank God, you know. And because I, I, I'm thinking it's not that obvious. It, you can see it for miles. You can say, oh, that guy has a problem, you know. And so I said, yeah, I have Parkinson's, which it's part of Parkinson's family, but it's called dystonia. So I just said, Parkinson's. She goes, oh. She started talking to me a lot about it, about the tremor. How long have you had it? I said second grade, but it's dystonia and stuff like that. She goes, it's fascinating because she goes, and you're productive, right? Which basically, you made something out of your life, right? You're not like dependent on government. And I was, no, I'm not. You know, I didn't know where she was going with this. <laughs> and so I said, yeah. I go, I'm a pastor, believe it or not, and I talk in front of people a lot. And it's incredible because I shouldn't be doing this. And so we were going back and forth, and, she's, and she asked me, are you, are you going? I said, I'm going to ask who's next, when my next appointment is. So I came back and said, I'm next. She goes, are you going to move your car? I go, forget it. If I move my car, you're in. I'm next. Because <laughs> I'm playing the Me Too game. Not Me Too. The Me First game. So while we dialogue and talk, I just realized, she asked me what I did. I'm a pastor. And, and she goes, I'm a Muslim. How does that work? When we can laugh and joke because of the tremor. This tremor, this difficulty, people connect with your sufferings. 
people don't connect with your political statements. People don't connect. It's very divisive. But so when I left, I go, dang. Thank you, Lord, for something I want to get rid of. That I want to be connected with somebody that has been judged so much by the evangelicals. It's a powerful way. Whoever needs to hear that is for you. God can use something you want to get rid of. He can use it immediately if you allow it to him. He used, uh, Ryan, Ryan used the difference between surrender and sacrifice. And that's committing yourself to the process. Taking all your flaws, taking all things. And the last thing is restored in order for you to restore. Restoration does not mean perfection. Restoration means that you surrender everything to him that he can use despite your flaws and despite your difficulties. He can use it. And so may the Lord bless you. And may you leave in joy.